hip hop is, um, you know, you're either talking for people or you're talking to a people. But if you're doing it right, you're doing both at the same time. Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man. You heard it here first. He's not playing. No, Aaron's not playing. No fucking game. Oh, don't crack me with the guitar. You got your ear to the streets, man. Much love to all the people down under. And make sure y'all follow the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, man, because they're giving y'all nothing but the real shit. But yeah, man, appreciate the intro, bro. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's kick it off. Shout out to the whole Hip Hop Hustle Podcast. What's up with it? It's official. For the first time ever, we have Hip Hop Hustle podcast merch. From hoodies to t-shirts to hats and even slides, go to the hiphophustlepodcast.com to get yours. Alrighty, there we go. Welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with an amazing artist, the one and only Rashid Campbell. Super excited having you come through, man. Um, one of the people in hip hop who's doing amazing things. You got your album Sugar Bills that came out recently, um, and you've got collaborations out the wazoo. It's unreal. Like your your resume in terms of hip hop, you've got Apollo Brown, Diamond D, Thirty Eight Special, De La Soul, Pharaoh Monch, literally legends of hip hop. Not to mention Benny the Butcher, Flea Lord. Like I could go on all day. It feels like with the people you've worked with. But how does it feel? You know, I'm. I feel like sometimes you don't get the opportunity to like hear it back. Like you know these things inherently, but when you just list them off, it must be a pretty good feeling. Yeah. Well, for it's Rashid Chappelle, not Campbell. Rashid. I, I the people Chappelle. make that mistake. I don't know who Rashid can. Yeah, yeah, Campbell is, but he gets a lot of attention. Sorry, uh, but, man. Um, no problem. Um, I mean, it, it's it's good, you know. I've had opportunities uh, to work with, and it's, it's cool to be, uh, you know, making songs with folks that are currently uh, shaping the new wave of what the sound is going to sound like. So I'm in a good spot. Yeah. Well, uh, I do apologize. I make mistakes about names all the time. So let me clarify Rashid Chappelle. Um, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, haven't had that one that bad for a long time, so apologies, man. Um, hopefully, that's the last the last bump. But um, but yeah, like it it does it feel like the momentum is really building for you now? Like, do you feel like you know when you walk into rooms, people are really recognizing what you've been able to accomplish? Um, yeah, I want to say maybe uh, the last couple of projects, each one has gained. Uh, more attention, more eyes. So um, I feel it, but at the same time, there's so much more I want to do to pay attention to it because I'm not where I want to be yet. So, you know, I, I still got work to do. I'm one of those people that, like, uh, I find joy in the work, not the other stuff that comes along with it. So where do you want to go? Like, what's the vision for you? I mean, ultimately, I would like to touch as many people as possible through the music. I don't have a um a plateau or what that would look like, but um uh going on tour, you know, so to reach a milestone like fifty and still be putting out music, that would be fantastic, uh on such a grand scale. Or um helping younger artists come along and find their voice and find their path. That would be something I would be interested in. Um but for right now, um I just want to rap uh with the best. I just want to continue to push myself musically. Um, 
and see what happens. You know, like I'm fickle. So it's like a, one day I want to do this the next day I want to do that. So it, it just depends on, you know, what the mood is. But right now I'm, I'm just so in love with the art and the craft of, of rhyming. That's like my ultimate motivation right now. I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface on what I could actually be as an artist. So I still want to, you know, pull the layers back on that onion and see, you know, what I can become and evolve to. I think that's a good way to have it. Although I've never heard an artist describe themselves as fickle. You're probably the first <laughs> one that I've spoken to that says, hey, I'm fickle. And like, it just depends on on what I decide next. When was the last like decision that you made? where you were just like, all right, I'm just switching directions or I'm just doing something new? Um, Maybe with the rollout of this album, uh, uh, Lullaby, the song with myself and 38 Special Rome as like a single, like as a lead single. But I was like, nah, you know, I know that those names garner a lot of attention, but I, I want people to hear from me. I want the first voice that they hear from this album to be just me. Um, So we went with uh, 1520. Uh, so you know, I make decisions like that based upon just, just the mood, you know, the, my PR, my publicist was like, are you sure you want to go that way? And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I'm glad I did. Um, because, you know, uh, it gave the people an opportunity to see a different side of me and, you know, the numbers dictate that I've made the right choice. Yeah. I was literally listening to 1520 before this and the music video is so crisp. <laughs> it's so clean. Um, so yeah, I like, like I look at, at you and and I look at this landscape of hip hop and I feel like you're in your own lane. Like I listen to this album and it's grimy, it's like old school, it's boom bap. Like is there something where you've made that conscious decision of like, hey, I'm going to stick to that sound versus, you know, what we're hearing in what I would say the mainstream of hip hop, which is deviating uh, strongly away from that sound. Um, I, I just, I just gravitate towards what I like. You know, I work with producers who, um, you know, make a certain type of music, and I pick the sounds that I think best suit my tonality, that best suit my uh, ability to tell stories and things like that. So I just toward, you know, like I have music that I'm work, I'm worked on that will be released shortly that might people might say is more like a stream sound, but it is, I'm not, I'm not hearing, I'm just listening for what I like. You know, if it happens to go mainstream, if it happens to remain, you know, uh, it, it just, uh, I never really um, have a perceived a predetermined idea of what I want them to sound like. It just, I'm a true artist in that way. I kind of just let it happen. Like I, I don't like to uh, have beats sent to me. I like to be in some work and we cultivate it together and you make the beat. I'll write the rhyme. We lay it like, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm from that, that school. So yeah, you know, I just, I just, whatever speaks to me, whatever musically speaks to me to, to push the pen, that, that's what I go with. Yeah. I think that's probably a good thing. Like I, I think a lot of artists or a lot of artists who are not confident in themselves try to appease a particular sound or a particular type of fan. Like they, they, they more are looking at what are the fans consuming more of rather than how can I create my best art? And I think ultimately as a fan myself of music, what I want to hear is the best version of yourself. 
Like, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know what you're capable of. I don't know all the things that you're working on. And so when you surprise me and give me a project that I don't expect, it's like, oh, that is sick. It like hits you in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I've never, but just my whole life, I've never been someone to follow trends. That's never been my thing. You know, um, I've told the story many times, like if I had the opportunity to get, you know, five pair of inexpensive sneakers or one pair of Jordans, I would go with the one pair of Jordans because I would go with the quality over the quantity. And there's a lot of people that are putting out quantity of music, but the quality stuff is just algorithm this sound as opposed to, like you said, putting the best, making the best art that you can. And I'm from an era where, you know, we consumed music and we let the music breathe. You know, so it wasn't our favorite artist putting out music every three months or in some cases uh, six, seven, eight, ten times a year. You know, it was about coming together and putting the, po- the best possible product out and then serving it to the people. And because that product was so good, a lot of the people that I grew up listening to, you know, they're touring the world still doing these records because it left such an impact on the world. So and then there's other artists who put out a ton of music that they don't have the same uh type of uh stay in our in our culture yeah well how do you feel about that like the i mean finding the balance between the two because obviously you can't release one project every five years you you become forgotten over time around especially like people are just like that was good but you haven't done anything for five years and you kind of need to be in the attention stream at the moment but then you have the polar opposite where it's like if you drop six albums in 12 months it's almost too much music for any fan to really consume. Like, how do you find that balance between doing enough in this new era of music, but also retaining quality? Um, that, that's been the struggle, you know. Um, but I'm also a sneaker. I know that uh, Jordan has a release every Saturday, pretty much, right? But he knows when to drop the sneakers that the people are most hyped for. You know, there's certain sneakers, there's certain models that people get really hyped and they stand online for. And he knows when to drop those, you know. So it's it's about what you feel. You know, sometimes I'll create something. I'm like, this has to go now because I'm just feeling the energy behind it. But other projects I'll sit and be like, you know what? I want to really let this breathe. I want to do the proper rollout. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably once a year, twice a year, um, you know, because I really take time uh, in my craft. So, um you know, for me, I've just been putting out a project every year since 2018 and just trying to uh, get the people f- familiar because there was a gap between the first and second album of seven years uh, and just kind of bring them back into the fold. Um, I don't know. You know, we kind of my partner and I, we just kind of we look at the landscape and we determine like, OK, is this a good time to inject something into the culture? You know, we really look at it like that. You know, so it's not. Again, I'm an artist, so it's not like this preconceived idea. I mean, we have a calendar every year where ultimately we would like to, you know, fill in certain slots with a single, a video, this, that, and the other thing. But as far as like a full-length project, you got to feel it, you know? I don't force anything. Yeah. you. I mean, you mentioned that there was a seven-year delay between your albums. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Why such a long delay? I mean... As you said, you're releasing a project or or two projects every 12 months now. But why was there such a a long delay during that period of time? 
Um, because I wasn't, I didn't have autonomy over my career. You know, I was working with a producer uh, by the name of Kenny Doe. You know, he's a world-renowned producer, Grammy-nominated producer, and he had a different vision for my career. And um, the success of the first album allowed us to go on to tour twice. So we were pretty much on tour from 2012 to like 2014. And then there was some uh, personal issues that happened in life. My dad, uh, he, he just became a dad for the first time with triplets. So there's a lot of things going on, um, as well as some things on my side as well. And so, you know, we were always creating music. Like I tell people, like, uh, in that time frame, I, we easily did over 100 songs, easily. And um, we had an album put together, uh, a second album uh, called uh, Brick and Mortar. But for whatever reason, he wasn't quite pleased with the, how it sounded or that it wasn't fully rounded out yet. So, we, you know, we, we just kept going back into the studio, kept going back into the studio. And, um, you know, it just came to a point where it was like, OK, after we do this, this first brick album, I know that's kind of time for me to kind of take everything into my own hands and be in control of my own career. What did you think was his issue with the sound because it sounds like you were ready for it to come out but what do you think like was really the holding it back i mean i, I honestly I, I couldn't i couldn't answer i couldn't answer that question if i if i knew the album would have came out i have no idea uh, but i know he, he, he's um he's an expert i mean he's he's a literal master at the craft of production so um maybe he just felt it wasn't ready or Maybe time just kind of got away from him or whatever the case may be. Um, but I just kept in that time frame trying to keep my name relevant by doing certain features like with Apollo Brown and different things like that to kind of keep, like you said, because if you go too long, your name will kind of lose its uh, its weight and its value. So I just tried to align myself with projects that made sense, uh, features that made sense to keep me um, in the public eye. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's strange to me. Like it's such a such a good work ethic to keep making music, only to not see your projects really see the light of day. Like, do you have plans to release them at some point? I feel like, you know, you would just be knowing in the back of your mind you've got all these songs, all these completed songs, and they're just sitting there gathering dust, essentially. Um, I mean, no, I mean, I, I don't think about it now. Like I'm in, a, I'm in a different place now. You know, like I said, I have control over what's released, when it's released, how it's released. So, you know, I, I don't really hearken back on things that were made. I, you know, just a training for me to be in this position where I am now. And um, during it, I learned, you know, I perfected my craft. And, you know, you heard that on every project since then. Yeah, I don't, you know, maybe one day. You know, who knows? Maybe one day, uh, you know, I'll release the uh, I'll release an unreleased, and the people can hear those records. But uh, no, I don't, I don't really think about um, yesterday. I think more towards tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I've wondered this about a lot of artists: like, how many tracks are on the cutting room floor, and how many? And and this is probably the more interesting question. I wonder how many of those songs that didn't make albums or didn't make releases are actually hits. It was just the artist's own critical nature of like just saying, I don't feel ready for it to come out. Like I, I genuinely wonder about a lot of artists and how many songs we just don't even know exists, but could have been hits and 
they never see. I mean, the Mob Deep story about um, Shook One's part two and Havoc not liking that beat. And it was Prodigy who was like, no, that beat is fire. And yeah. I'm just like, imagine, though, if he just didn't release it. Hip-hop would be so different. That beat is iconic, and it was almost minutes away from just not ever being used and never seeing the light of day. And OC told me personally how he didn't like the Time's Up beat. It was the last record that they did. Or um, Ludacris throwed a record that he did for that album. So, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of... Um, stories like that i mean but for myself like if if i had to say uh one of my superpowers uh since really like taking full control is that um i'm a pretty good a and r uh for myself like i'm i'm a pretty good judge of um you know what sits and and what kind of is is let go um i think like off of my project with um with vic last year only two records that we did didn't make the project. Uh, off the project, this album that just dropped with Sugar Bill is produced by The Archetype. I believe there's only one record. There's only one record that we did that didn't make the project. You know, so it's it's about knowing, you know, I definitely learned a lot from Kenny about how to put a record together. So um, I, I take that and then I take my own, you know, intuition of what I have and my own ear. And um, yeah, for the most part, I try to craft records that work in conjunction with the next record, you know, solo albums have been with one producer so that, that we can create that cohesion and that way give you a full story through the music. So um, I don't waste too much uh, as it, as it pertains to like hitting the cutting room floor. I mean, is it, I could definitely release a value unreleased material, but it is not a whole lot. Well, I think we're all glad that there is, you know, I don't know, glad, maybe we're relieved that there is not as much uh, music just waiting around that we haven't heard. I mean, your fans and, and myself included, obviously, are like, oh, when's the next project going to come out? But I think that's a good success rate to at least know that when you come in being purposeful, that when you're constructing an album, you know that you're not going to leave a lot unfinished that you're going to actually do it properly. You're going to come with a plan. And I feel like, you know, that point you made about having one producer on the track, on the album is so underrated these days. Like it feels like a lot of albums are just a mesh of singles that are just haphazardly just put together. And the art of constructing a story, like you said, and constructing an album has almost been forgotten. I'm a fan of it, you know, like um, hip hop isn't my first love as far as uh, musical genres is not my first one. Uh, my first love is R&B music. Um, so I would listen to these artists that my mom would play and I would listen to the range of, they're talking about one subject most of the time, which is love. If they got 13 different ways to talk about it at 13 different tempos, you know, and it's um these variations of oh, what love is. It's the the new love, the love that's lost, the love that's longed for, um, you know, the love that hurt. You know, it's all these different ways talking about it. And they really constructed these albums. They constructed these themes. Taking that approach to when I got into to hip hop, it was like, how do I tell a story? You know, 
And, you know, I'll pull you behind the curtain for myself. What I'll do is before I even have a title, I'll um, try to figure out what I didn't say last time. What didn't I say on my last project? And let's start there. All right. What didn't I say? Where am I? I have to like, I'm a person I need to live life before I can go into a studio and write. And it's like, um, you know, I'll do some living and it's like, okay, what didn't I say? You know, and I'll, and I literally look for like maybe seven or eight words, just words that I haven't used before. And then from there, I'll start constructing the idea of what a project is going to be. And then we'll get maybe three or four songs in. I'll take a step back and I'll look at what I have in regards to what's missing, uh, where it could go. And then uh, I'll start forming the title. Once the title is formed, then I just fill out. I just flesh out the rest. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very big on storytelling, like on Sugar Bills from mascots to make it out. There's a hold in between those two margins there. That is so interesting, though, that you go think about words you haven't used before. Mm-hmm. How how do you do that? How do you how do you actively acknowledge? Okay, these are words I'm yet to use because it's almost like if you know the words, you probably used it. So you almost have to stretch yourself even further to find those words that you haven't used before. I, I agree. You do. <laughs> you hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what you have to do. And that's what it's about. It's about stretching yourself and pushing yourself. Like there's a ton of artists who put out a ton of music, but it's the same song every time, you know? And, you know, um, I'm a fan of a one trick pony. If the trick is amazing, but it's the same thing over and over again, it kind of loses its luster, you know? So I'm, I'm more a fan of artists who are willing to stay true to their sound, but kind of push the envelope a little bit, you know? Um, so I think those things, are the things that inspire me, that get me excited. You know, um, I work with different producers because I want to see what they can pull out of me. Right. I'm a very, I'm a, I'm one of the, I'm an artist that can be produced. I want my producer to tell me, say it like this. Um, I got an idea like this or something like that. Like I like the collaborative process of that. You know, I'm not a, um, I'm a megalomaniac because I want to get on a mic and rhyme and have people listen to what I'm saying. But when inside the studio is is 100% collaborative. You know, it's not you do the beat, I do the rhyme. It doesn't work that way. Like I'm part producer also. Like once the record is done, I hear a horn, a voice, I'll write the hook and get the voice out. You know, so all of that takes place. Like every album that you've heard has live instrumentation. Like this last album is 100% no samples. Everything is live. Wow. So, you know, and that's all collaborative between my Wow, that is awesome. Um, let me say, before I get mm-hmm. onto the live music, if you don't use the word megalomaniac in one of your songs, you definitely have to because that is such a good word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay. But, um, but, yeah, like it's, it's interesting, like hearing you describe yourself as like these opposites because – you use a word like megalomaniac and it's egotistical, it's selfish, it's thinking about yourself, but then you use collaborative and it, what it's saying to me is like you have those 
instinctive both parts of your personality and knowing when to use one and when to use another is kind of the art of, of creating your music because you, as you said, you can't do it alone. No, I mean, I mean, it's, it's the class, it's, it's the yin and the yang, right? It's about finding that balance. And if, if you listen to my music, always up to positions between, you know, finding some beauty and the hideous. Like, I mean, I think I've made my career out of taking these things that um, are horrible, but making this sound poetic. You know, I take these images that, you know, are snapshots of people's worst days, put it in such a way where, you know, the fan is like, ooh, that was an ill line, you know? And at the same time, maybe in some reflective moment, they were like, damn, like if that really happened, that's crazy. It's juxtaposition of these, um, just putting words together, you know, finding the words that you can put together to evoke an emotion. I think that's crazy. You know, I could take, you know, five words um, and put them together in a way, um, you know, the science on the street, we collide, we compete, either starve where you feast, shoot a line, nor the sheep. And I just painted a full picture for you. I know that I have to have someone who can provide the canvas for my paint because I can't do it myself. So when it, and, and I trust these people, these people who are my producers, I think they're experts in their field, just like they're trusting me to paint on their canvas. I'm trusting that they're going to give me the best canvas that they got. So I'm definitely like, you know, how do how do we meet in the middle to make that happen? Yeah, it's su- such an interesting um, metaphor that you use that that you're a painter and it's on their canvas. Like, I think it's so good. Like it, it really makes sense that it is their canvas and you're just painting on it and you're adding to what they've already given you. Yeah. I mean, because the music, I mean, sonically, a lot of it is by itself. You can just let the sonics play. But those sonics, I then hear words. Like the sonics dictate the words to me. I never know what I'm going to write. I never have an idea going in, I'm going to do a song about this. It's all the sonics always create the optics, you know, and it always does that for me. I listen to the and the words will come to me and it's like my session is spent looking for the words just trying to capture the words popping into my head and just just trying to take them like a game of scrabble and put them together where it makes the most sense and there you have the song so do you write pen to pad or do you punch in like what's your what's your style because you're obviously trying to get the combination of these words and you're trying to come in and you're you're like Obviously, you're trying to mix and match. Like you're trying to go, hey, these words flow here with these sentences and they're trying to... But but what's your process with regards to recording and getting the imagery and getting the sentences and getting the flow of the song together? Like I'm old school. Like I, I And I keep every rhyme that I write. Like um, I have, um, I guess it would be considered like a storage units, um, like little... Uh, uh, I guess I have a couple of those um, full of like every rhyme I've ever written. Like I, I keep everything, um, but I'm definitely pen to paper. Um, and, you know, I, I, I remember, you know, you, you, you watch your evolution. And I remember when I was younger, write rhymes. And I can, cause I can go back and track them and I'll see where I would, I would scratch out a line and then I would write something else. But, it's so few and far between that that happens now, you know, because it's a constant revision in my head as I'm writing. 
before I even get to the next line. You know, it, it kind of, it's a constant revision. And as I'm in the studio, I'm reciting it as I write it, 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 and then go record, then come out, listen, okay, that first verse went there. I got to go here in the second verse, write it, write it. Sometimes it'll all come to me at once, but for the most part, I'll record a verse, listen, okay, I got to go here. Or where can I go? Where should I go? Yeah, that that is cool to see that evolution of you being able to like edit as you write. It's it's like yeah, that's I feel like yeah, that's yeah. that's the that's the sign of someone who's mastering their craft is you're becoming this person who's it's almost like an orator, someone who speaks really well. They don't really have to write. Mm-hmm. It, they, they may have a speech but they can edit it as it comes out to them. It flows naturally. They find this cadence. I've always found that really interesting. And being able to do that when you're writing as well is essentially the same skill of being able to find the correct words that fit in the right way. I think it's such a powerful skill. The great Lord Finesse, one of my mentors, he told me that hip-hop is, um, you know, you're either talking for people or you're talking to a people. But if you're doing it right, you're doing both at the same time. So I'm always trying to find that mix where I'm talking for and to, but at the same time, so that they both can feel like they're being informed about something and people feel like their voices is being heard. You know, so I'm always trying to find that in the music. Yeah. Damn. It is. I feel like most people don't even think about it that way. I feel like hip-hop these days, and I, I I always hate going down this path, but I feel like the over-commercialization of music at the moment has t- taken away its heart and soul a little bit. We've lost a little bit of what makes music powerful and what makes music special through the need to constantly push, 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 and just the need for just hits like an album full of hits doesn't really make sense because you have your hits, but you have your five star songs. They're not hits, but they're important. And I don't really feel like we have that balance anymore. Like an album is an album because it goes, takes you through the roller coaster. It takes you through the ups and downs. You feel all of the emotions and every song is as good as another, but they all fit in a different place. And not everyone is going to be a quote-unquote hit in the sense of you're going to play it at the club. But I feel like we've lost that in music a little bit. I hear um, songs, it's just not coming out. I mean, I you know, I take I take my I take my um I take my position. I take my stance from if you if you look at some of the greatest albums of all time, right? You'll, you'll look at an album like, you know, the trilogy of Michael Jackson's Off the Wall, Thriller, and Bad, right? It's just three people, you know. It's Rod Temperton. It's and they locked in and they created timeless music, you know. Um, you look at um, the Rumors album by Fleetwood Mac, you know. It's uh, the band and one producer. Um, you know, you look at a uh, public enemy, it's um, the bomb squad. You look at a uh, tribe, it's 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 Q tip and Ali Shah- Shaheed Muhammad. 
I mean, you know, you look at uh, the early albums of Kane and Bismarck and, and, you know, this is all Molly Mall. It's something about locking in and, and telling a story, you know? And so, you know, I look at those as templates of where I want to be. I want to be on that, you know, um, I want to be in that rare air of artists. So I look at what came before me as, you know, it's a simple formula, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and it's just about putting your passion and your all into it. You know, I don't really subscribe to the new music isn't good. I don't really subscribe to the old music was better. I just think that it's constant evolution, you know, and I think um, more now than ever, people who are fans of music have as alternatives to mainstream. And they literally, if they, if there's a certain type of music that they like, without ever going to a major platform, you can make someone a star. You have that ability, you have a platform, whether it be your Twitter, whether it be your Instagram, your TikTok, you literally can broadcast this person to everyone who watches you if you feel that passionately about them. They don't have to go through, uh, you know, a, a Viacom. They don't have to go through a universal. They can just go direct to the people. So I think it's, it's, it's something that um, once the people realize that the power is truly in their hands, you know, just imagine if there was a thousand people every day just touting their favorite artist and it was all the same person. And now they're followed by each one of them is just followed by a thousand of people and 5,000 people per quarter is dropping money into this person's account because they think their music, that viable career that that artist has. So, you know, that's how I look at it. Well, I think that is an awesome vision, but I feel like it requires effort. And investment. And and that is where that falls down at the moment, is that, like, the ease of everything seems to be halting artists who are really good but not as recognized versus, you know, the labels, the ones with big money behind them, the ones that, you know, get all the promo, they're, they're right there for you. I mean... The perfect example is Taylor Swift has a new boyfriend and it's everywhere. And all we're talking about and all the media seems to be talking about is Taylor Swift and her new boyfriend. And it's like, that's the perfect example of they're not even making music and they're in the news and they're taking up mind space. And so you hear that, you hear the name and then you're like, oh, I got to go and listen to that music. It's like pushed at you constantly constantly and i feel like that's what's challenging as a fan of you have to be very very intentional with the desire to find specific music as opposed to just listen to what's easily accept or easily easy to find i've never seen a commercial for tomatoes i've never seen a commercial for um cucumbers I've never seen a commercial for grapes, but when you go into the grocery store, I don't know how it is in Australia, but you know where to find it. If that's what you're looking for, you know where to find it. We know all the bad stuff is in the center aisles. All the stuff that's good for you is on the outer aisles, right? They don't make it as attractive. They don't, they don't do fancy billboards for it. They don't do, you know, the advertisements, but if it's good for you, you know where to get it. So I'm of that school. 
you know, like I'm going to do, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of money on marketing and promo and hopefully it does cross over to a grander or larger scale, but the people that want to come find it, they know where they come get it, you know? And if I'm not making $10 million a year, a hundred million dollars a year doing music, if I make 750,000 a million, I'm okay with that because there's no compromise on the art. There's no compromise on, you know, my integrity. I'm a hundred percent okay with that. And me, you know, the way my ego was damn in relation to these other artists who have, you know, these quote unquote hits, you know, if we're talking strictly skill. Like I, I feel comfortable walking in a room with anyone if we're talking about skill, you know? So that doesn't really, um, it doesn't really phase me in that way, you know, cause I truly do it for the love. Now when that love, you know, when that when that passion turns into profit, now you now now you've that that thing that people talk about where it's never work. You know, so uh, in that regard, I haven't worked in ten years, eleven years, because I found the thing that gives profit. So I'm good. Yeah, you know, man, I like your energy. I like the the calm and centered, like. Uh, outlook that you have has it been something you've you've you. been working on like is that i mean i mean all of it is always something we work on but your outlook your ability to see the positive and live in reality like has that been something you've been actively working on over time listen i, I grew up in chaos you know, my it's well documented in my music, my parents' drug abuse and my mom's incarceration and all of that. You know, so I grew up in chaos and, um, you know, meeting chaos with chaos. There's no resolution there. You know, so you have to you have to be the one to break the cycle. You have to be the one to find the calm, you know. But what I have learned is, um, you know, I read something a while ago about um you have uh, the bovine family, which is the bulls, and you have the cows. And when a storm is coming, the cows run away from the storm. And what actually ends up happening is it increases their like um, anxiety, and 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 uh, they they just get more riled up because they're running the opposite direction of the storms, and the storm is following them. Whereas the bulls, they run towards the storm; they move their head on; they just want to get right through it. Right. And actually, because they're running in the direction, it gets past them faster, you know, and they learn to deal with those storms. And so my thing is, you know, nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is 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 to be taken for granted. So, you know, the best song in the world or I have a song that nobody listens to. I stay here. Right. Because neither one of those things define those are just things I can do that doesn't define who I am. So I always try to stay here regardless of the accolades people or crit critique is here, whatever the case may be. That doesn't change why I did it. That doesn't change why I'm gonna go do it. You know, it doesn't it doesn't dictate that. That's not, you know, my purpose and my passion was sent from someplace else. So other people critiquing it or praising it, it doesn't validate or invalidate, you know, what it is that's given to me. So that's just me. That is such a healthy outlook. Like it just genuinely is such a healthy outlook to to, <laughs> to, to look at challenge and to look at adversity and say, it doesn't matter if it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm going to 
back myself and I'm going to hold true to my values and I'm going to hold true to all the things that I've been working on and I'll see what happens and I will adapt and change and, and go with the times, but neither the good or bad define who I am. No, you're not your best day or your worst day. You know, you're somewhere in the middle. And unfortunately, you'll never be able to hear that because when people talk about it, you'll be in a casket, right? But you don't know your effect that you have on these people by just being yourself. You know, so um, that's my thing. Like, if I can give you a glimpse of me, because you don't, you're never going to get all of me, right? But if I can give you a glimpse of me via the music, then that's what it's about. And and then, you know, realizing that all that I tell, they're not just my life. You know, because we're a lot more in common than we are. These these themes um, are things that touch a lot of people's lives. I've gotten a ton of DMs from people who said, you know, this was, you know, something that touched my soul. Or I've been through the same thing or, you know, this made me smile. Or, you know, I've had people say I thought about giving it up until I heard the song Beautiful Art Tortured Soul. And, you know, you just kept pushing or you inspired me to do this. So. You know, and and then again, I don't I don't take that as me because I understand I'm a vessel to create that art, and you know, it touched that person in that way. The same way a Michael Jackson record touched me many years ago. The same way, um, you know, an Illmatic a song from Illmatic touched me, or something off Mob Deep touched me, or the Purple Tape, or you know, on and on, and it pushed me in that direction. So, um, you know, it, it just you know we're creatives and we've been blessed to be able to create and, you know I just I just rock out like that like I, I don't get to um I mean I can get you know crazy about the technical part of it but as far as like the inspiration and stuff nah, I don't I don't trip on that yeah I feel like a lot of people can learn a lesson or two from that I mean I think everyone struggles with it. I'm sure you struggle with it as well. That's that's the weird thing about it is like, you know, even the journey of becoming centered and self-aware is a difficult journey. It's also like I started writing this year. I write every single day, um, like a thought a day. I wanted to do it for 365 days. And I found that as I'm writing, I'm becoming more self-aware of my thoughts and being able to realize that my thoughts are simply thoughts and that you spend a little bit of time with them. It's not what you, what you actually think. And that all these ideas and perceptions that we have of ourselves are not actually true. And I've seen a dramatic change in just like my genuine contentedness and happiness through writing and just through being able to go through that journey. And I think that's all part of it. And I feel like, you as an artist and artist in general through writing, you discover more of yourself as you go. Absolutely. I mean, and it's always the the delineation between what I think and what I feel, right? Because everything um, that I think doesn't deserve a feeling and everything that I feel doesn't deserve a voice, you know? So it's, it's always, this this um this uh this filtering process of what's absolutely necessary you know what's necessary in the moment you know feelings are definitely valid but thoughts sometimes 
take precedent. And sometimes feelings takes precedent over thoughts. Sometimes silence takes precedent over talking. Sometimes talking takes precedence over silence. You know, so it's always about trying to find when, what, how. You know, and I do, I get to, you know, I look at it sometimes because, um, <laughs> you know, I'm in a new relationship and um, uh, she talks about how, you know, my approach to people is and uh, how I can be somewhat antisocial at times, but all, at the same time being social because I don't give a lot of myself, right? I'm being personable without being personal. And I look at how personal I am in the music and I'm giving so much of myself um, on such a public domain, like in a, such a public space. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the, it doesn't matter what the people who hear it say is cathartic for me, you know, but I'm in this space where, you know, she, you know, she's like, you know, you're able to public way but then like on one-on-one -on -one situations, you're a bit more reserved. Like, you know, you know, it's just, it's just a, you know, it's just the enigma of being an artist, I guess, you know, it's just a, just, <laughs> just, it just comes with it. I, I, I can't really explain it and I use words for a living, but I can't really explain it. Um, I know I love it and I know that um, I do it free and I know I would do it if no one listened because I did for many years before anyone did. And, um, you know, I just know that the art is something that, um, you know, you never master it. And it's the search of that mastery. I think that just keeps you sharp, you know. I feel like that is the true sign of a master is they don't even believe that they're masters at some point. There's a point, I think, in your knowledge where you realize that no matter how much you learn and how much you attain, there is an infinite possibility of more knowledge and you become almost the master student. That's, I think that's what it is. I think that's the, the goal to mastery is you realize that it never ends. There's no such thing as master. It's just levels and there's always the next level. It's like sport. There's always someone who can be better and who can get better and who can achieve more. The same is with artists. And I think as soon as, and that's a trap, a mastery trap is to believe you're a master because mastery and self-belief in mastery creates complacency. Yeah. And you never, like with art, you never want to be there. Like um, I find inspiration in people who some would say is not a good artist, but I hear things differently. So I may take a cadence from that person or I might, um, just the approach that I hear that they took. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I never thought of it. I remember I did an interview asking me about a particular artist, mainstream artist. And I was like, oh, I love them. And I guess because of my music, they thought that I would be the opposite of that. And I was like, no, like I think the way he finds cadences and the way that he uh, cuts syllables and rhyme, like, I think that's amazing. And um, I spoke about this one particular song and I was like, if I had sat in front of that same beat for a year, I would have never came out with that cadence. And he was like, are you, are you serious? I'm like, yo, <laughs> Trust me, I've been doing this forever. Never found that rhyme scheme. And, um, you know, and, and from hearing this artist, I was like, okay, let me level up and look for these different pockets and stuff like that. And um, that's what I do all the time. All the time. I want to go back to your your new partner's assessment of you for just a moment. Okay. 
Do you agree? Do you agree that with her assessment of you, do you agree that you can be a little bit, you share less in smaller group situations? Oh yeah, she's spot on. Yeah, she she she's yeah, a hundred percent. She 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 is a hundred percent correct. She's a hundred percent correct. Hundred percent correct. Why do you think that is? Like, it's weird. I find personally with myself, unless someone calls it out, I sometimes don't even. I'm like I'm aware of it, but I don't, I don't even think about it. I just do it. So she obviously said it, but have you thought about why that might be the case? Of course, yes, absolutely. I, I, I thought about why it may be the case. Um, you know, there, there's there, there's a lot to unpack there. You know, um, you know, there was there was a lot of experienced uh, very childhood um, that you know was kind of uh, found it some time to be observant. You know, it, you know, to less watch more where I had to assess to see who people were, you know, what they were about, you know, what were their intentions. And, you know, the higher up you go on this totem pole of fame, you really have to be cautious of that, right? Um, you know, we don't live in a society where people just say, hey, like, I want you to do this podcast because I think it's going to help me get views and I'm going to sell uh, ad space. And it, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. Right. We, we come and we say, um, you know, hey, I'm a fan of your music or whatever the case may be. And there may be some truth to that. But the real motive is you know, female relationships. We don't walk up to, hey, listen, I, I would like to have sex with you. <laughs> like, I, I'm not looking for anything else. That's all I want to do. We don't do that. So there's a level of honesty that is lost there. So, you know, there's um, the industry that we're in. Everybody wants something. I want things, right? So I'm not going to exclude myself from that group. Like I want things, right? But I try to be as self-contained as possible where if I want something, me wanting it and you doing it with me, it's of a value to you also. You know, but there's a lot of people who just feel entitled because they can, you know, I think with the invent of um, these social media outlets, man, I, I get the shit that comes in my inbox and my, and my DMs. I'm just like, how do you, like, how do you, how do you think that you just skip levels? Right? How do how do you think you just get to that point? Like, like how do you think you, like I, I, I can never imagine, um, just starting rapping and asking Nas for a verse. I could I can imagine it. <laughs> I might ask to sit down with him and sh can he show me some things or, but like yo, let's get on a song. No, you know, like I, but, you know. I just feel like it, every, it, we're a bit more accessible and because they has access, they try to, you know, they, they use that. And then when you're like kind of push, it's like, they look at it almost like you're crazy, but it's like, like we're actually not doing the same thing. You know, like um, I have people that I know personally that um, we rap together in high school and they're like, oh, yo, I'm back at rapping now. And I was wondering, I'm like, you you want to come race with someone who's been doing it for 20 years because you 20 years ago? Like, come on. 
Like that's not fair to me. Like you know what I mean? Like that's that's that, like now I got to like that's that's not fair to me. I wouldn't, you know, like I'm a fan of boxing. Love boxing. I box, I spar, I hit the heavy bag, I shadow box. Wouldn't dare ask Floyd Mayweather for a fight. He's someplace <laughs> else. Like he's he's some he's someplace else with it. You know, so it's like, you know, it's just it's just this weird space that we're in, you know, and I just kind of just I observe. You know, I agree with you. I mean, I've, although I will say, I've definitely asked some people who are well above where I am at in my own career for interviews, just because sometimes you're like, if you don't ask, you don't get. But at the same time, I also get the others, which is like, hey, I'm releasing my first songs. Can I come on the podcast and can I talk about it? And it's like, again, like being self-aware enough to know the type of people I tend to talk to tend to have longer standing careers, tend to have music that they can back in. Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, I, and I want my fans to also be interested in the people I talk to. That's ultimately what I hopefully do from this is that, you know, the conversations I have are at somewhat interesting and they're with interesting people. Um, and I wouldn't do this if I wasn't interested in the people I was talking to. But, yeah, I think a little bit of self-awareness goes a long way in knowing when to shoot your shot rather than just shooting your shot from full court every time. It just makes no sense. Like, you can set the play before you do it. Yeah. I'm a fan of I want them to come to me too. Like, I, I, want, I want to be the person in the room that you have to come talk to. Like that's, that's my goal. And I understand like that requires work and I'm not afraid of work. People are afraid of the work. I love the work. Let's do the work. Like I would never, in a, like, like I, I love the work. Like I love the work. Like the, the, the going to the studio and trying to bust my brain to come. I love it. I absolutely love it. So they're like, okay, well you got to do that again. Perfect. I'm up for it. You got to do it again. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. I'm up for the art. I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. So I'm of that school. Like, um, I don't have to say I'm the best, right? Um, I just got to put out the best work. Like that. I mean, I truly feel that way. There's a lot of people telling you that they're the best. There's a lot of people telling you that this, show it, show, you don't got to say it. Like, like I said, you, you've never seen a commercial for an Air Force One. They don't, they don't have them. Longest standing Nike sneaker out though. They don't make commercial. You, you know where to find them. You know what's the best. You've never seen a commercial for a tomato. You know where to go get them. Right. So, I mean, it's just, I'm of that school. Well, I mean, you must've read my mind because Air Force Ones are literally my favorite shoe of all time. Like, I love the feeling. I love they're so comfortable. Like, as a sneaker to actually wear, like, Air Force Ones, they're just so clean, crisp. Like, uh, white on white, I'm here for it every day. There's just something so simple and so clean about it that I'm just like, you just can't get a better shoe. Rashid Chappelle. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know. Well, I did want to ask you one more thing before we, we kind of all tie it all together, but you said you're a boxing fan. 
How are you feeling about yes. Tyson Fury, Francis Ngannou? Obviously, that is taking up a lot of noise, but how do you feel about those types of fights in general? You know, they're, they're kind of bringing MMA and a boxer together. Like, what's your overall take on these types of fights and that fight in particular? Well, I don't, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the, the cross um, marketing that they're doing, um, bringing, um, I think MMA right now is bigger than boxing, which has always been like a niche uh, sports, um, I, not always, but definitely in the last 40 years, has got more and more of a small with the um, explosion of MMA um, because there's a lot of technique um, that are required with like the best boxers. Um, these two particular, I think, uh, if it was a dedicated, would be a very intriguing fight, you know. But that's not his discipline. His discipline is a mixed martial artist. So, um, when you're doing a, a, a game, a fight of striking, you know, because that's what you know, you're not allowed to kick or anything like that. Um, I think he, the, the advantage is overwhelming for a boxer, right? Because this is all they do. This is this is 365 days of their training, as opposed to one third of that. If you are um, proficient in multiple disciplines, right? If you if there's three disciplines that you're proficient, the time of training is cut into a third. You know, whereas this person, this is all they do. Um, and Tyson Fury, um, who was able to take the punches of some of the best heavyweights in the world. And one of the hardest punches in Deontay Wilder, I don't know that there's anything Francis would be able to do that he hasn't seen, you know? So I just think that he's at a disadvantage there. You know, I'm always going to, even if they were both two boxers, I always favor the boxer over the puncher, right? Because the the boxer has a multiple, um, he has multiple different things that he can use to win a fight as opposed to a puncher who has one. So I'll always lean that way. But if you have someone who doesn't have the or technical skill that a boxer has, like this that McGregor could have done against Floyd Mayweather win that fight. Uh, from but kick him. And it wouldn't matter if you know he was 20 pounds heavier. That like it it's just boxing is such a, a unique sport that um, you know, if um if the talent and the skill is you know, five grades higher, it doesn't matter the size, you know, you can offset all of that, you know, you, you can offset all of that because a guy could literally outweigh you by 50 pounds, but if he doesn't know how to throw a punch, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter because he's not throwing it properly. So it won't feel the same as a person could be 10 pounds lighter than you, but if he knows how to throw a punch, he'll put you to sleep, you know? So, you know, that's how I feel about that fight. I'm, I'm more I'm more excited. I, I heard that he's finally signed uh, a, a contract to fight Usyk in uh, Saudi Arabia. I read that today. But the fight this weekend uh, with Canelo Alvarez and Charlo, like I'm looking forward to that fight. I'm really looking forward to the uh, the Eric the Erickson Lupin fight, which is on the undercard, uh, to see if he can really uh, bounce back from the two losses that he had against Fandora and uh, Charlo. You know, I think he's an excellent fighter. Um, you know, so, you know, I look at a Canelo and a Charlo, and I think that uh, Charlo has all physical attributes to be Canelo. But what's between Canelo's ears, I think, might be too much 
for his physicality. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's why I love boxing. Got to fight to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw the contract today as well with uh, Tyson Fury, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not going to even try. Um, it's but Usyk. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, I know they've been talking about it for a while. But, yeah, I, I agree with you with the Ngannou and Fury fight of just, you know, if it was in MMA, Francis would have the, the, the Francis would win without even a questions asked. So it's like, you know, you're asking someone to step into a sport that has similarities, but is restricted in the rules. And Tyson Fury is probably the biggest guy we've seen be able to move like that. Like he moves so smoothly. I don't even know how he does it. He just is such a technician. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know how he got up off the canvas against Deontay. It seemed like just something just got him to get up, but he showed that he can he can take those punches. But yeah, I think that fight will just be interesting to see how good can Francis get. But I think ultimately we'll see the difference between a professional boxer and an MMA fighter stepping into boxing. It's it's it's, it's, it's just totally different. Like I. You know, there's um people I know can fight, but if you put them in a boxing ring, like they would get destroyed. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, yeah, I mean, sure, you're not a fight, but like there's rules here, and you abide by these rules. This guy is, you know, he he he's Mensa level um, when it comes to the art of boxing. You know, that's why they call it the sweet science, right? It it is a science. It is, you know, it is something special. Like not everybody can do it, and um, not especially not at that level. So for Tyson Fury to reach the height of that, you know, and then to fight someone who's great at MMA, you know, but it's just two different disciplines. It's just completely different. Yeah. But, hey, it's bringing attention to the sport. And I don't know, I, the, the weird thing for me has always been like the the different organizations and the different belts and unification belts. And, and I don't know, as a fan – um, like it's difficult to follow a lot of boxing. Like I'm probably entry level fan. Like I know a couple of names and I've watched a few fights, but like I think MMA is a product and UFC in particular, they just packaged it so perfectly. Like you said, you know where to find it. It's the same place. They've got the card. You follow like the people, like it's just so easy to follow. And then boxing has those challenges where it's not just like one organization it's multiple organizations trying to put these fights together and and contracts and deal with these things it's it's um you know it's a product of america also like america is um you know it's the grandson of the great grandson of the of the romans right so they they like the um gladiator they like the blood um and then it's the venn diagram of you have one of the biggest podcasters in the world as the, as the broadcaster, uh, you know, Joe Rogan, um, you know, just cable television, pay-per-view, um, you know, you got people from all over the world competing in MMA, MMA. So you have, you know, demographics of, you know, I don't think, it, I, I mean, you could probably break boxing down into um, maybe three, four races of people. You know, you got black, you got Latin, uh, and it would throw that in with Mexican. Uh, you got um, British, you know, so maybe, maybe three. 
you know, that they really like as far as that they follow boxing like that, you know, if we were to look at the, but I mean, of course, other all people love boxing, but these are the core demographics that they go after. Whereas with, um, with MMA, they target women. Um, you know, the women get just as much uh, shine, uh, the round of Rouseys and uh, the Holly Holmes, like, you know, like they get just as much light on that side as the men. So it's just a whole different, you know, campaign of marketing and promo that they do on that side. Whereas boxing, like you said, you know, um, you know, you you can win a belt and not fight the best. You know, there's vacant titles, and then you know, you what belt are you fighting for, and what organization is going to sanction the fight? So with MMA, it's like, okay, you win, you got to fight the next best guy. Doesn't matter. Like next, like he's the next one in line. That's who you got to fight. There's no, you know, in boxing, you can kind of, oh, my promoter is not doing business with this promoter. So it's a lot of things that go on that doesn't allow for, you know, the the fights that we see in MMA. Yeah. And that ultimately hurts them long term. Yeah. Like, because everyone wants to see the best people fight the best people. That's all anyone cares about. Like, I want to see the best contender fight the champ. And I want the champ yeah. to earn his belt again or her belt again. I mean, that's what made all of UFC interesting, whether it's men, women. I mean, Ronda Rousey was the biggest fighter in the UFC on their whole mm-hmm. roster because yep. the fights were good. They had a good contender, good quality, good promo. It was like easy to follow, but it was entertaining as hell. And they're all yep. amazing athletes. That's at the end of the day, they lost no quality. And also, you know, like um, George Foreman said a long time ago, like good, good boxing is like good jazz. Like you, you, the, like uh, the better it is, the harder it is to understand. You know, so like there's some things that you know you might see a guy. You know, like I, I'm a fan of the technician. I'm not really a fan of the brawler. So like, if I were to mention someone like a Guillermo Rigondeaux or someone like a, a Floyd Mayweather, where you say, oh, this guy is running. No, he's not. He's actually not. He's not a lot like it's to be, it's hit and not be hit. And the fact that he can hit someone four times as many times as that person hit him is, is amazing. You know, like, is, and, and this guy before is knocking everyone out. You know, this guy before is able to do things that he's unable to do with this guy. So I like that chess match aspect of it. Of like, how was he able to do all this before he gets here? But when he gets here, he can't do anything. So um, I think that's intriguing to me. Like, I'm all, I always like to see uh, who can take away something from the other guy first, right? If you take away one thing, pretty you got you got a good chance of winning the fight. If you take away two things, you're definitely going to win a fight. You know, we just watched that with Earl Spence and uh, Terrence Crawford. Like he was able to offset his aggression, and then he had to. Then he made him think because he couldn't get he couldn't get out of the way of the jab. We can go chapter about boxing. Like I love boxing. Like it, it is, is my absolute thing um, because it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a sport of will. You know, when you get to the highest levels, there's two people that are probably evenly matched, and it's who wants it more. And where are you going to go to find what you need to win this match? I think that is amazing because there's no timeouts. There's no subs in. It's just you and another guy that wants it. And you're going to see who wants it more. Yeah. And it's who can deliver on the day, who can play the best game on the day. Like there's, that is the other part of like, and, and we've seen it in fights before where the fighter walks out and you're like, they look scared. 
They look worried, like they've been talking big and you, for whatever reason their headspace is not there today and you can see it before the fight happens and you're like, this is troublesome. Like you can just see it on their face. You can see it when they look at each other. Some one of, and the other fighter can see that too, and they and you can feel the confidence yeah, yeah. in the other fighter build before they've even started. And it's just the sometimes you just don't feel good on the day, and it's how do you prepare to be the best on the day? And this is what you know. I know professional boxers, and and, and one of them, uh, we we talk and. Uh, in fact, I shout him out. Salute to my man, Ian Green. He has a fight coming up in November. Uh, he talked about one of the fights that he lost, and he said he remembers it. He remembers being prepared. He remembers being ready. He remembers going to the ring and just feeling like, wow, like this is a big moment. And he was thinking more about the moment than everything that he instinctively knows. He's a better fighter than the guy that he lost to. But he, he knows that in that moment, he wasn't in the fight. you know. And he allowed the moment to get bigger than him. And I think that's one of the things that... um. We, we lose sight of, because I just look at the box and I, I'm not really concerned about what goes on outside of the ring, um, but like a flu other. So to have 49 fights against professional fighters, and this is their Super Bowl, and to never have a bad, or or not have a night bad enough that you lose, that's terrible to me. That's, you know, every fighter that's come, this is their Super Bowl. This is their NCAA double championship. This is their NBA finals. This is their Wimbledon. And to just always find a way, I think that is incredible. Because you can fight 30, 49 cab drivers. One of them may catch you in your night, right? Because you believe you're too full of your own hype. And for that to never have happened, you know, like, and then when we see him face adversity in a fight like a Sugar Shane or the first Castillo fight or even the uh, early rounds of the Maidana fight and for him to have enough wherewithal, enough ring IQ, and then the ability to do, I think that's amazing. Like, I think that's absolutely amazing. Well, I think leaving on that amazing note is the right move, but I only have one more question for you, man, because... I feel like this could turn into a boxing podcast and you might be the host and I just sit back and I learn and listen to you <laughs> to you telling me all these things and teaching me about these things because, um, yeah, it's evident that, you know, I think a lot of people say they're boxing fans and it's evident very clearly that you are a genuine fan. So uh, there can be no questions asked. But I do have one more to ask you. Um, I've asked you a couple of tough ones, but it's the only question that I plan on the show um, if you had to recommend one album that everybody should listen to at least once to get an appreciation of, can be any genre of music, cannot be your own music, what would it be? See, I told you it was a tough one. One album. I mean, uh, the first thing that pops in my head is New Edition, uh, Any Heartbreak. Um, cause just like no additions are my favorite groups of all time. I think they're the greatest group of all time of any genre. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I wouldn't want to say them only because I like, and they probably would hate that I'm saying this. I like that they never crossed over. I like that their music was big enough in the black community to make them super wealthy in the black community 
I mean, from the from the dollars in the black community and it never had to cross over. You know, I'm sure they're like, no, we don't want that. We wanted our music to go to MTV and like, you know, we become billionaires, you know, but, you know, I, there's just something about it remaining in the culture that I really like. Um, but um, I can't think of the, the album off the top of my bird album that I really just started listening to um, with the. Uh, the sample that they use for uh, uh, the Brooklyn, uh, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, Duck Down used the record. Um, Black Moon used the, the sample. Um, that's a really good album that people should appreciate. Um, but you know what? I'll go with New Edition. I go with New Edition, Any Heartbreak. The storytelling on the album. Um, the, the growth that they showed on that from going from literally boys to men, which is uh, one of the last tracks on the album uh, to, um, you know, um, if it isn't love to where, like where it all started, like, is it, you know, it, uh, you're not my kind of girl uh, home. Like it's an amazing album. I think it tells a story um, that I don't know too many R and B albums do. Well, speaking of storytelling, that's a great album, but also you've got Sugar Bills that came out. So for anyone who hasn't checked it out, please make sure you check out that project, man. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show um, talk through all these things. I feel like we've gone through the gambit of of all the the different things we could talk about between boxing and between uh, you know how you view life and music, but all I can say is, Looking forward to seeing you continue to release music and continue collaborating with the artists that you have been collaborating with because, yeah, the space is only better for having you in it. Um, and I think your fans already tell you that plenty, but I just want to make sure that obviously from my end, that's the same way that I view it. But, man, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. But is there anything you wanted to shout out, anything you wanted to to plug before we wrap up? I just want to thank you for giving me the platform to come on here to discuss the things we discussed. I want to send a shout out to my team, uh, my business partner, Adam. I want to send a salute to the archetype, an amazing album. I told you when we started it, it was going to be crazy. And um, to everybody that's supported me so far, thank you to the people that just got on board uh, with Rashid Chappelle and this music, like go back and check the catalog. We've got a lot of stuff in there and um, just look forward to living life, man. That's it. That's all I got. That's all we need, man. That was perfect. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for upcoming podcast news. Also, don't forget to check out my Patreon under hip hop hustle for exclusive content and to help support the show. Bye for now.